This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is Women in Leadership Podcast, featuring success insights from women around the globe. Now, over to your host, Anne-Marie Cross. And welcome to another episode of Women in Leadership Podcast, brought to you by the InfluenceAlliance.com, the business building community for coaches and consultants who want to build a profitable and scalable business. Now, my guest today says, lean into success, knowing that failure is just a part of the path that will get you closer to your genius. And joining me on today's show is Karen Summers. She is a producer and a director based in Los Angeles, California. And she's the namesake of her production company, Karen Summers & Co. Now, her media house is a full-service creative studio that specializes in producing cinematic, branded content, commercials, social media storytelling, documentary features, and series. Now, Karen believes in empowering her clients, and her company loves to be the creative answer to the costly dilemma of building an in-house team for the cinematic storytelling that has become critical to the success of almost every single business in this competitive global market. Now, on today's show, Karen's going to share that it takes the kind of risk in your career or take the kind of risk in your career that leaves you breathless. What's that? We're going to find out in a moment. The importance of listening to your intuition and how to listen more without judgment. So welcome to the show, Karen. Hey, all. Hi. How are you doing, Emery? I'm really glad that you are here. You've got such wisdom and insight. You're working in an industry that has challenges of its own. I know a very much male-dominated industry, and many of the guests who have come on the show have as well. And so the insights, the learning, the hindsight that they can bring to the conversation is going to be incredibly helpful, I know, for listeners. But also, too, what's happened in the world, there's a lot of industries that have evolved, that have uh, taken on a new direction, if you will. So there's a lot of exciting things on the horizon too. And I know that and much more insights you're going to share on the show. But before we dive into some of the insights you want to share, what's your story and journey, if you will, of, of getting into your industry? Was it a, a kind of a linear path or was it a number of different steps along the way to, to get you to where you are today? I think it was wildly circuitous, honestly. I thought when I was a kid, I was going to be a forest ranger. And then I thought I'd be a doctor. And then I tripped and fell into acting, honestly, as a, as a young person. And it really turned me on. It sparked something in me that that just uh, caught, captured my imagination. And I ended up becoming a professional actor in the United States and in Canada. I'm originally from Canada and I was trained the whole nine yards. But, but doing that job actually, which uh, I think many of us go through this. You're you're doing a job you think is your calling, but in mm -hmm. fact, while you're doing that job, you see something else, and it's just like, oh, that's why I'm here. And I I was on, I was very lucky. I I got cast in some wonderful roles along the way, doing film and television and stage, and I would watch the directors and producers do their thing and. 
I came to realize that I much preferred to be behind the camera because it gave me a lot more power, as it were, to do what I wanted to do as a creative. And uh, and I could eat. That was the other thing. I could actually eat something because as an actor, you're always a little hangry because you have yes. to keep fairly slim for the for the lens. So uh, the, the double whammy of wearing what I wanted to wear, eating whatever I wanted to eat and having being empowered as a woman in entertainment and being able to call my own shots was yes. Yeah. And, you know, as you're sharing that, I'm so sure many women may be in situations where they are experiencing that and seeing um, a vision, if you will, and having some incredible goals and reasons why. But there always needs to be that something else. And I'd love for you to perhaps unpack that, that really had you transition into that, make the decision and take the steps, because I'm sure there are a lot of learnings. It didn't just happen overnight. So what are some things that you can share around that or how to then follow follow that dream, despite the challenges, despite, you know, the things that may come up? What did you learn? Well, it's all about baby steps, honestly, and the willingness just to jump off the cliff. If you can take the first big step, which is the willingness to jump off the cliff and to jump, and then consistently do those baby steps every day, it really is about the journey. It honestly is, no matter what you're doing. If you can enjoy your travels along the way and really dig into those baby steps, you meet the friends that you'll continue to work with along the way. And those are that's critical. People that want to do that big jump from being a production assistant to being a director, by all means, go and do that. But understand that there will be probably some catch up along the way with the things that you did miss and that there is the grace of following those steps up the up the chain will afford you the luxury of becoming um, more of your own genius. You know, there mm. that notion of the 10,000 hours. I, I'm not saying do 10,000 hours by any stretch, but it, it is in those steps that you're going to develop the life that you're envisioning and being very mm. clear about that on a daily basis. Yes, I love that. And, you know, taking, as we said, you've got to speak into the kind of risks in your career that leave you breathless. What were some of the breathless moments for you? I, you know, honestly, I think it's a little bit, I, I think I experience these things every day. I'm always throwing myself into jobs that I know nothing about. And I, I do it because it's exciting, but I also do it because of curiosity and, and I do want to learn along the way. So my vision back in the day was to ultimately become a filmmaker, even though I didn't go to filmmaking school. And so I've worked my way up that food chain in, in doing all those different jobs. I would say that probably some of the, the more hair raising things that I've done is really doing that jump from being an actor into production was a jump. And I, I accomplished that by going up to the producer on a set. I was on a, I was on a big shoot. I was the principal actor and I went up to the lead producer and said, um, you know, I'm really enjoying myself and this is great. We're almost done, but I would really like your job. What have I got to do to get your job? <laughs> and she, she thought this was hilarious. And, and I said, no, I'm really serious. What have I got to do? And two days later, after, you know, a principal speaking role, blah, blah, blah. She gave me a job as a production assistant. And at two o'clock in the morning, I found myself standing in a parking lot, picking up garbage before the rest of production got there. I remember looking up at the stars at 2 a.m. as I'm picking up this garbage thinking, oh, this is my big break. I've completely made it. I'm in production. So it was a yeah. moment, but it was, and I didn't feel that, like it was a stupid thing. I, I really 
was very cognizant of my life suddenly shifting. Mm-hmm. And and months I was line producing and production coordinating. And a year after that, I was in Los Angeles working. So it's it's kind of funny once you do that big first jump, what can happen? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Would you say, and, and I mean, I know we're kind of generalizing here, but being that you've done that and you've gone through the ranks, as you've said, and you've said that a multiple times, do you yeah. think sometimes it's our unwillingness to do what needs to be done and to stick with it in some of those, well, you, you were saying the first job that you were doing is picking up rubbish now or garbage. And someone might've thought, well, I actually want to be doing this, this, and this. What's this garbage that I'm picking up? This is also too, I think, for some of the younger generation is, as well. But also as we're making a transition, be willing to do what it takes, even if that means picking up the garbage. Opportunity creates more opportunity. Yeah. So, I mean, keeping that in mind in a very, very competitive environment, I was hyper aware of the opportunities being a little slimmer for women. I was very aware of not blowing my first opportunity. So at least I could I could impress people with how well I picked up the garbage. And within, you know, within a job or two, I was working for art department and I became a buyer and and, and I started figuring out what jobs I liked. And, and and that really is at the key of it. And if, if you can enjoy whatever menial task you might be assigned at that moment and make mm-hmm. of it and do it really well, then you will be bumped up. I guarantee it because there's so many people in the world that don't enjoy it will mm-hmm. so loudly as the boss. Now that I'm the boss, the people that I bump up are the people that make the best of it because, yeah. we're in, you know, we're all in tough jobs. You've got to make the best of it. Yeah, one of the things that um, I noticed and I'm really seeing and hearing a sense of this coming through even in in how you approach your work, that I'm sure that your experience or the the experience that people had of you on how you came to set, even when you were acting, that there was both an attitude and approach of one of, you know, contributing rather than, you know, wanting to have it your way. So would you say that... It was no problem for you. If someone wanted you to do A, B, and C, you were happy to do that and you were contributing to the overall success of whatever they needed. That really seems to be an approach that I'm sensing is coming through and just your style, yes? Yeah, I think it is. And and I think holistically in the world with all of us, as, as I've made my way up the food chain now as a director, producer, CEO of a company, when I'm working with other leaders, when I'm working with people that uh, that are wildly accomplished and much smarter than I am, one of the first things that I'll say to them when we're in conversation is, how can I help you? How can I help with this dream that you're trying to accomplish? What can I do for you? Because that's not offered up very often. I have a lot of people asking me for help. Mm-hmm. And it's the ones that offer to help me in return or just lead with what can I do to help really stand out for me. And so I've really tried to take that on as a as a daily habit for myself you know, without without taking on so much that you can't do your own job. It really is because I'm the leader when I'm on a, on a set. My job is to allow my people to do their jobs so that I can do mine. If I'm distracted with something that a producer should be doing, if I'm distracted with what a set decorator should be doing, et cetera, et cetera, I won't be doing my job. And my job is is really to lead and to to push forward the vision creatively. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I I think it's tremendously important in that instance 
I'm helping other people by, by letting them do their job. And there are a lot of people that, you know, will interfere with that process too. And hold mm. and, and that's another, that's a, so that's just another way of helping. But, but I do reach out to folks that are being kind to me, being helpful to me, or I just want to form a relationship with and just ask them how I can help. What can I do yeah. with that? It helps and that just seems to be part of um, who you are and your approach. And I think that reciprocity, I mean, when you start to help people, it's just one of those things, you know, I, I'm the same. If someone helps out or passes me a referral or something, I immediately think, well, how can I help them? And I think yeah. moving forward for what's going to be going on, that mindset and that approach is so very important. Not what can I get out of this, but really from that heart space of what can I do for you because it's going to pay back in dividends. Now, we know that... And you said this, typically the industry that you're in is very male dominated. And one of the things that you've said is, you know, it's important to listen to your intuition. And often, and again, I know I'm generalizing, but when you think of men and intuition, sometimes having those things are the the two conversations, although I do know that it is changing. So share a little bit more. Was that intuition something that you continue to use right throughout your entire career? Has it been significant in some of the decisions that have led to really great outcomes? Share a little bit more about this. Uh, Yeah, I think think intuition plays into every single thing I do every day because you're going to be, if you take risks in your life, in your career, there are going to be so many times where you're just not going to be sure on a conscious level, your logical brain will say to you, this is not a good idea. Like you taking this risk means that you're putting this, this, and this at risk. And maybe that's not such a great idea. And if you, and yet in your heart, you have this feeling, I really must do this. <laughs> There's no good reason for it, but I must do this. I, I met and married my first husband, who is a lovely man, a film critic in Toronto when I was living there. And my intuition was marry this man. If he, if, if we decide, and if he asks, marry mm-hmm. this man and move to the United States. It was very much based on my intuition. I didn't really want to go, but I knew that I needed to. And long story short, I'm so glad that I did. It was yeah. life changing. So, but on a career level, particularly, I think particularly for creatives, when it comes to trusting your intuition, there are going to you're going to be surrounded by people that will question your decision-making quite often, whether it's the studio, because you have development folks that think that they understand a project better, they might not understand what you're saying as a creative in the moment. You're gonna have line producers that will be telling you that costs too much, (laughs) really not a good idea, that's really too much risk. Or you're gonna have also creative that will second guess what a change you might've made in something that affects production design and then something that affects casting, et cetera, et cetera. And, and if you can keep the course and trust that intuition and be in it, be in the flow every day, mm. it will pay off for you more than it won't. And, and you mm. know, that, that's do risk, right? You have to be willing to move your life forward in a creative fashion and to go for the goals that you have been dreaming about since you were a kid or since recently, since we've all gotten started to get out of COVID, you've got to you've you've got to stay in that space of trusting your gut. And I don't think I think women are really strong at acknowledging their intuition. But I do think that it it for many of us it's taken a lot of practice 
to trust that intuition because there's so many people around you that will tell you, you know, you're probably not right. Yes. And also, too, I'm sure we can all relate to situations where we had a a hit of intuition. We didn't follow it. And then down the track, it's like, I knew it. I should have done. You know, we we can all come up with those stories. But I think from a leadership perspective, I'm sure that you've got team members. And if you look holistically at the people that you are surrounded with as part of, you know, your job, that through that and seeing other projects and experiences where you really just were so clear and they call the fire if you will of of what well, we're just yeah. going to do that and had a great success they start to be more trusting i'm sure now and, and to rally around some of those decisions well we're not really sure but we trust your intuition i'm sure those are typical conversations that you now have with your team well i i think that that trust definitely comes into it for sure and it's also trusting the intuition of your team members once mm-hmm. you form that that relationship, right? That trusted relationship. There are certain DPs, even though I'm a, I'm a working DP and I'm a director, a DP being a director of photography, so I also shoot. So, uh, and I can feel it. I can feel when there's another artist working with me on a set, like a director of photography, I know when they've hit the flow. And if they turn to me and go, Karen, I've got this idea. <laughs> and, and if you can pull it off, I'll be just like, bring it on. What, what are you I want to I want to feel what that idea feels like and and if it it feels right then we go and mm-hmm. that's paid off in spades so many times and it and all, honestly the trickle down when it comes to everybody's companies I think at this point is your intuition on hires you know we we actually churn through a lot of people even though we do have core relationships with many people in, a, in our organization there are a lot of people that churn through as freelancers mm-hmm. and there are going to be so many times where you're under the gun to hire people because you have a, a project coming up unexpectedly. You've got to hire quickly and you've got to trust your gut in terms of hiring those people out. And the other part of that, which is kind of an odd part of it lately, is I'm always looking for women and um, people of color. I'm trying to hire from a diversity standpoint very strongly. That's always our first step. And mm-hmm. And, and sometimes that means that the people that we're hiring in do not have the resume that, you know, some of our regulars have got. And I really have to have these kind of strong conversations with, with, with folks. And normally it's with women who will tell me in an interview that they can't take the job because they haven't used such and such a camera or they haven't done that particular thing in production yet. And I, I have to kind of take a moment and just listen to my intuition about this person. And then I have to either proceed with a conversation that basically is about inviting them to take a risk with me, mm-hmm. that leap. And can they learn that camera over a weekend? Well, of course they can. But women typically will talk themselves and their prospective employers out of hiring them because they feel that they need to be so prepared and have so much experience to do that job. Whereas the men, I have men say to me, oh yeah, I've used that camera a million times only to get onto the set and have to give this person a tutorial quickly on how to use the camera because they're not quite sure how to use it. So it all, it all comes out in the wash, but 
Yes. You know, as you're sharing that, I, it takes me back to the days when I worked in the career industry and how many women would often talk themselves out of even applying for a role because there were one or two line, you know, task lines that they hadn't done. And I've even heard one particular yeah. client uh, didn't put herself forward for an internal promotion because of the same issue. And one of her uh, direct leaders or managers actually tapped her on the shoulder and said, you need to get your application and because you were the person that we were considering as we put this pro forma, this, this uh, job description together. And it's interesting that we can sometimes do that. And I think what has the last 14 or 18 months has shown us, there has been a lot of the word agility, the word pivot, the, the mm -hmm. ability to adapt quickly to change and to learn things. Mm -hmm. And I think we all have, and I love the way, the way that you've said you were naturally curious. I think if we move forward with a curiosity, well, I can learn that and one of the things that I know about women we can juggle multiple things we can learn quickly because often we need to learn quickly on the spot and we can apply that to the workplace too yeah I think it's you know it's that willingness to fail at the end of the day women are terrible at failing like we just yeah. have not we have not perfected. We beat up on ourselves, don't yeah. we, when we fail? You know, I, my, my husband tells me all these nutty stories about him and his teenage friends back in the day, of whom he is all still best friends with. And they would, in the summertime, try to get each other fired from their summer jobs. It became a blood sport of trying to get really? each other fired. Oh, yeah. And it was it was the sort of the standing joke as to what job you had that week and how the friends had gotten you fired from that. Or you had, you know, stumbled and gotten yourself fired. And, and I looked at that when he first told me that story, I, I marveled at that story because when I was that age as a teenager, if I had gotten fired from something, I would have been crushed no matter how it had happened. And I think we still are. As women, we take it so personally. And there's a multitude of reasons why people can get fired from jobs, particularly in Hollywood. I mean, Hollywood has disappointment baked into its system. And often is not the people that are left standing and holding those top jobs at the end of the day are just because they can withstand the yes. ability to fail and get fired because you're going to be fired. I guarantee it. If you're taking risks, you're going to be fired. So yes. what are your tools to handle that? Do you need to go to bed for the day? Do you need to eat a box of chocolates or do you pivot and keep applying for those other jobs and not worry about getting fired because everybody... Yeah. The word no, we, we want to avoid that, don't we? Because often we take that as a personal rejection. Oh, yeah. And some of us don't take to rejection very well. I'll put my hand up too. But if we use that as... Yeah, it's something that will drive us forward. Well, what can I learn? Sometimes you just need to keep doing what you're doing because that role or that particular project just wasn't a really good fit. And had you been accepted, you might have hated it anyway. You know, often there's there's that as well to consider. But I don't think we really enjoy hearing the word no. And how often people have said, even in sales, isn't it? Just keep going. You're going to get lots of no's, more no's. But okay. that yes, if it's the right opportunity, will catapult you into you know opportunities that uh, you may not have ever considered. Let's talk about listening more with less judgment. I think this beautifully segues into what we were just talking about because often the judgment can be on ourselves. What did I do wrong? What's it about me? But yeah. I think just moving forward, there's so many people that 
in their sharing of what their opinions and so forth. There's so much judgment around the world, no matter what industry that you're in. So speak a little bit more about this, please. Yeah, and I, you know, I and I think there's a cautionary uh, little note in here too, because women are often told to be quiet. We've been trained from birth to let the other person speak first. So when I say, you know, listen more with less judgment, I don't mean express yourself less. I mean deeply listen and do that dive. And in my job as a documentary filmmaker, for example, your job is to listen more deeply than you've ever listened to anybody in your life because you're listening for the nuance, you're listening for the clue. If you can do a deep dive, into listening to the person that's in front of you. One of the one of the really great people that I've met in Hollywood that does this is George Clooney. <laughs> it sounds it sounds so funny, but when you're talking to George Clooney, it feels as though there's no one else in the room yeah. with you. And he has the ability to focus on you and deeply listen and respond in such a way that you really feel like not only has he heard you, but he recognizes your essence. He recognizes the, the thing that makes you special. And I, I think that that is, if you can get to that point to recognize, mm -hmm. no matter who's standing in front of you, to recognize that special thing that your intuition, you can feel it when you're standing in front mm -hmm. of them, really deeply listening. You know there's something magical about that person. And it's not necessarily your job to figure out what that is, but intuitively between two humans, like a, an electric circuit, you can see it in somebody else's eyes when yeah. they're really listening and they can really see you. So yes. it's about seeing somebody mm -hmm. and, it, and you can do it very quickly. It doesn't have yeah. to be on our process. I love what you said. And I was going to say, but I thought, uh, no, I better just keep my mouth closed because I don't think I was born with that gene. Although I do listen because there is, and I often listen for what is the motive behind what that person has said. And when you can tap into that uh, mm -hmm. or or allow, as you said, through great questions to follow that conversation, you'll often get to, you know, the, the crux of what's causing that that reaction or, or response, or if it's work-related, you know, a, a way forward. But what's really important about this is often around a boardroom table or in a business meeting that we can feel that our voices are not being heard. And I've, in actual fact, if there's so many, and I'm an introvert, so if there's a lot of people talking, I will not move forward and have my voice I'll wait I'll wait till it kind of comes down a little bit however having said that if there is a particular conversation going and it's pushing my buttons it's like a stand for because I always say the intersection between what you're passionate about and what peeves you off is often your purpose and what you'll stand up for well then you know watch out I will and I'll, I'll might bring humor or there is a segue into something that someone says but there is always a way, and I think what you've just said, sometimes it's just being silent and knowing what to say, when to say it, using your intuition, and but not not saying something. I, I think that's really important. But share a little bit about, uh, was that something that you found that you'd always had or is that something that you've developed in you and honed in you? Because this is an area that I see so many women struggling with because what ends up happening is when they do speak, it's not done in a in a thoughtful way, if that's what, what I, a term that I can use, it's done, it comes across more as, I hate to say it, well, she's just whinging or something like that. And so it's in our approach and how we bring that message forward and that topic forward, that also matters too, yes? 
Yeah, it really is. And I, I think that just comes with age, honestly. I, I think it's been, I've had a leg up because I was a performer back in the day. So you, once you start to memorize other people's lines that they've written, you it, it dawns on you as a human how important spoken word is. Yes. You know, every single word does count. It does if people are listening. 50% of your audience might be listening if you're lucky. Um, but that 50% that are listening are the ones that are genuinely interested in you. And so... I do think that every word counts. I'm a mouthpiece. There's no doubt about it. I'm an extrovert. So I, I, I feel quite comfortable in a full room speaking mm. my mind, but I'm also very cognizant of how I'm going to do that. And yes. speaking up in a room, I think I've come to learn that when you do that kind of thing, it is very much acknowledging what it is that you're talking about. First of all, what the room is talking about, you know, mm -hmm. I've seen people stand up in very full rooms and suddenly it becomes a conversation about them. And it and it's just, you know, it derails the whole situation. So if you are going to speak up, what can you do to help that situation? What can mm. you do to forward the conversation? What can you do to contribute to, you know, whatever that meeting is about? There's There's a way of contributing. And once you start looking at it through the lens of contributing in a positive fashion, your way of contributing in leadership is going to be to stop that meeting. You know, we'll reconvene. Everyone's going to go. We're just going to take a little time out. We're going to reconvene in tomorrow or in an hour when everyone's had time to cool off or when everyone's had time to do a little bit more research. And, and we're going to sit down again and, and, and start this conversation up. So I think that's part of it, too. But I, I think that comes with time and time and experience. Honestly, yeah. You know, as as you're um, talking about, you know, words, words are so important, and the approach, how we bring them forward. I'd love your thoughts on how important do you think it is in the delivery? There was a study that was done many, many years ago, and, and there are some debate in how accurate it is, you know, the impact of communication, where they said the visual, the mannerisms are, are very important. And I think that was, what, 58% mm -hmm. um, or very high. Then there's the auditory, how we use our voice, the pause, the tonality, and so forth was, I think, 38 and then 7% words. But if you look at it through the context of you may go somewhere to listen to a speaker because the topic they're speaking about is of interest, but the way that they deliver and speak about it is so distracting that you forget all about the fact that, you know, you're here to listen and it's like, oh, I wish they would stop. So would you say that there is importance also, and if this is an area that some women struggle with, in the delivery of that message, get some training and support around that? Oh, so yeah. You, uh, do you think that's important? I, I think it's critical. Honestly, like run, don't walk to an acting coach. Don't. Uh, my sister uh, in Vancouver has a nonprofit called 365 Give, and her, her name is uh, Jacqueline Way. And Jackie's one of the top TEDx speakers in the world. She's got millions and millions and millions and millions of views for her, her TEDx talk. And she really struggled. She had not spoken in public like this, um, giving a TED talk, which is such a big deal. There's so much pressure on you. And um, uh, she ended up getting an acting coach because she called me up and said, I'm, <laughs> this is just a disaster. <laughs> not working. <laughs> because she felt like a deer in the headlights. And because with TED Talks, you know, they're a very specific beast. They're, it's, a, it's a filmed experience in front of a live audience. So you're serving two, two platforms in that yes. case because delivering to a live room is different than it is delivering to cameras. So mm -hmm. it's 
it's a fine line. And so she definitely, I, I connected her to an acting, several acting coaches that she could choose from. And, and I think that when it comes to live presentations, less is more. When it comes to pacing, I think it's critical because it is in the spaces that we as humans can ingest what's just been said. Mm-hmm. And it's in those spaces that I think humans can listen better. Their brains kind of reboot a little bit. They listen, they take it in, and they're like, oh, I'd like to hear more. But it is in those, and you can call it a dramatic pause, but it, it's for a lot of speakers, they just want to plow through. But yes. pacing is really critical. And then I would also suggest that acting coaches can be critical as a media coach because many of us now are on live webinars we are on podcasts we are in the media in many shapes and ways and being able to present yourself being aware of of how you're speaking to camera for many of us or speaking to a presenter or an interviewer or being a presenter you really do need to get some training with that because just getting used to speaking to camera for example freaks most people out completely they mm-hmm. it, their brains just kind of fritz out and they don't want to do it because it doesn't make sense to them and it is a it is something that they will have to practice for it to make sense like i know right now i'm speaking to camera because i'm speaking to you and that's what it looks like on in, in this platform but the reality is, is that you're the figure of your body is several inches down below so i yes. want to down right yeah, not to camera and get used to that. You will be able to see my eyes better to a certain degree when I'm looking up than looking down. Yeah. So it, it, it's all these little nuances and what are you wearing and did you take the time to do your hair or did you put a little powder on or a little makeup? However, all of those things count. And I'm uh, uh, I'm, I'm doing this on the fly, as it were, but I, I managed to borrow a ring light from one of my 80-year-old aunties so that at oh, least people could see my eyes. Yeah, but it, it is, it is the devil is in the details with all of these yeah. things. So I encourage people to find a few legitimate acting coaches and take a few lessons and, and do some media coaching. Really. Yeah, it's it, it's important. And, you know, if I think when I was transitioning from just, just doing audio podcasting to video and then live streaming, I liked it for the thrill of I knew it would freak me out. I'm a bit like you say yes and then panic later. You know, you'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. You know, yeah. even if you've got a Google and I mean, Google is the best encyclopedia there to, to learn. But mm-hmm. it's one of those things we wait for something to be perfect. And guess what? It never will. As we before we went live, the internet may drop in and out a little bit, and you know what? That's fine if it if it does. And if any of those things, the what if, what what if, could have done, should have done, all of those, if we continue to let that drive us forward, we'll never do anything. And you know, each time it'll get a little bit better. I never rewatch any of my videos because I just think. Why did I do that again? But you know what? Other people won't know that because that is just who I am. I think we are our worst critics. Yeah. I never used to listen to our podcast interviews with my co-host and I, and he would often say, oh, you know, the sound quality is shocking. What did you think of it? I said, I never listen because I don't like the sound of my own voice. And I said that 
you know, saying three times again. Oh, but just get over yourself is another thing that I often say to myself too because by not getting out there because we're waiting for something to be perfect, which, I mean, who determines what perfect is anyway, our voice, our message, which continues to evolve too. I think you are a very different person than you were five years ago. So someone making a decision today, I'm going to do this, is going to be very different three, five, ten years down the track, yes? Yeah, I think so, to a certain degree. I mean, we're all the basic essence we were born into, and is my belief, but you do get opportunities to polish your essence, yeah. right? And and I think, honestly, the for, for, for documentarians like myself, filmmakers like myself, it's in the imperfections that we find the beauty of most stories. Mm. So if you relax into your imperfections, that's where people will find a way to connect with you. And I have a podcast as well. And, uh, and when I listen back, I, I have to listen back because I'm, I'm editing it. And, and I listen back and I'm just like, oh, could I say that phrase one more time? I'm an experienced media person. I know better. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't edit them out if only to teach myself that I've got to stop saying that. I've got to stop saying that particular phrase because it's lazy also. Yeah. Saying it because I'm thinking for a second. And so I've, I've slowly but surely been weaning myself off of certain phrases that I use far too much. And I'm, I, I have a terrible habit of dropping the F-bomb every once in a while. I try not to drop them on podcasts, but I was interviewed by my very funny cousins in Canada who own an entertainment company uh, recently, and they taped the entire top of the podcast as I was trying to ask our gardener to turn off the, their, the uh, blower that was outside our house. They, they taped the entire thing of me yelling out the window, and, and when I heard it back, I, it was, I was so appalled, like, first of all. Because I'm yelling out the window, hey, Ruben, can you just turn that down? And I sound like some awful entertainment person in Hollywood yelling at the pool boy or something. You know, it's just like, good Lord. But in retrospect, like instead of sending them a note going, you got to take that out. You you, you guys do not leave that in that podcast. I realized that that was part of me, you know. And then I sat down in the chair in the podcast and dropped the F-bomb because I was so frustrated with all the noise and the da 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 And the two boys laughed. My two hosts laughed so hard. And they said, oh, you're the first, you're the first one to, to, to uh, drop the F-bomb on this show. And, I'm, and again, I'm like, oh, could I have messed mm. up anymore? But in retrospect, it's that show on LinkedIn that gets me all the attention. I've had yeah. so many people send me notes going, this is the funniest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. So. So I think yeah. you have to be just learn learn along the way. I will try not to yeah. drop any bombs or yell at the gardener when someone else is recording. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've been really good through this show. That that's good. You know, as you're sharing that, uh, I think back to some of the movies that I've watched, and I love the behind the scenes, the bloopers, oh, when wow. you kind of catch just the glimpse of who that actor actually is, you know, the way that they approach something funny. To me, that is far more interesting often. And what's interesting, and I'll uh, share this for people who are wanting things to be perfect, Edelman did a study and they've done, they've continued to do a study every single year and they have done for a number of decades on what builds trust. 
And yeah. some of the feedback that they get is that if something seems too polished or too media looking, yeah. we've almost gotten to a point where we're distrusting of media. So we don't want that to be like that. And it's some of those nuances, those funny little characterisms, those quirky things that come through that can often be why someone likes to listen or likes to watch, you know, your particular yeah. live stream or something like that. So it's important to recognise what is that for you. Yeah. Get some training, as you said, and support around other areas and then bring that all together and be the best version of you as you continue to share your message in whatever form you feel you know, best fits uh, what you do. So, Karen, I've loved today's conversation. We could continue on, you know, uh, we've just scratched the surface, but for those people who are listening or watching or even the recording and they want to find out more about your work and perhaps how your media agency can support them, what's the best way for them to connect with you? Well, they can they can go to my website. They can go to karensummers.com, and that's K-A-R-E-N-S-O-M-E-R-S.com. And I also do... Believe it or not, I do coaching. I am a certified coach and I work with creatives. That's my little wheelhouse as a, as a coach in terms of helping to accelerate development for creatives or help them to pivot or help them to figure out next steps, help them to become the entrepreneurs that they're dying to be. So that's another thing that I do and, and love it. And of course, the podcast. Please, everybody, come and listen to our podcast. And it's called Give Her a Microphone. And we feature women that are working and thriving in the entertainment business. And we the two hosts are working and thriving in the entertainment business. So you can any of those. Yeah, terrific. Well, look, thanks once again for coming on the show and uh, just love to have speak, spoken with you today. And I know that it's certainly going to uh, empower many people who listen and watch as well. So thanks once again. Thank you so much, Anne-Marie. This was so inspiring talking to you and hearing your thoughts. And I listened to your podcast. I am gobsmacked by the, the level of intelligence and wisdom that's communicated on your show. And I'm really grateful. And I'm so grateful to be a part of this. So thank you. This podcast is brought to you by TheInfluenceAlliance.com. Want to influence real change with your message by becoming known as a trusted authority in your industry while building a sustainable and scalable business you love? Find out how by accessing our free podcast series at www.theinfluencealliance.com slash podcast series. That's theinfluencealliance.com slash podcast series. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.